Welcome to the Being Well podcast. I'm Jan Orman. In this podcast series, we've invited people we know and admire to tell you their stories. My name is Paula Kotovich. So my name is Craig Sample. Evie Rader. Molly Shorthouse. My name's Percy Knight. I was a career detective in the New South Wales Police Force. I identify as a trans woman. I am a remote doctor in East Arnhem Land. These are people who may not have made the headlines, but whose stories are just as worthy of your attention as those you hear about in the media. Living with cancer. I was struggling with PTSD for eight or nine years. I just had a lot of fear. I was well and truly burnt out. These are people who have flourished and met life's challenges while managing their social and emotional well-being. Uh, my career now uh, is as a mental health advocate and educator. I led a team that negotiated a $22 million native title grant. They taught me in my life a lot of persistence and give me a lot of strength. We're hoping you'll find something in these stories to inspire you, whatever your situation right now. Tammy Kirkness has a background in psychology, but it still took her a very long time to recognise the part that anxiety played in her own life. As a high achiever whose life looks pretty good on the surface, she's had so much trouble convincing others that anxiety is a problem for her that she's had to develop her own strategies to manage it. Let's listen to her story. I'm Tammy Kirkness. I'm 34 years old. I live on Gadigal and Bidjigal land here in Australia, also known as Bondi Beach. I currently work as a life coach, corporate wellness consultant, keynote speaker and author, and I manage my own anxiety every day. I predominantly do all of this work within the mental health space and mental wellness space. So my background started off in the space of psychology and business. I was lucky enough to do a degree that combined the two and I loved this combination of why people do what they do and how to harness the best bits of them to make an impact on the world. So I smooshed together all of these rather disparate bits and pieces of my skill set and combined them to become a life coach and help other people who had been struggling through things like uh, worry, anxiety, perfectionism, overly high expectations to help them find a sustainable way to create beautiful positive impacts on their own life and those around them. So it's been an interesting, unexpected, bitsy kind of journey, but it's a really nice place to be now. So my background in mental health was it was always something that absolutely fascinated me. As a kid, I was a voracious reader. I couldn't get enough of big topics like religion, like the brain, how we worked as humans. I just inhaled it all. So I was always reading. And eventually that led me to study psychology at university. And I remember just gagging to get to the the big deal subject of the degree which is referred to as abnormal psychology or it was back then and that's when you look at things like uh, PTSD, depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, the whole host of of those things and I was so 
almost desperate to get to it. And when I got there, again, I inhaled the information, but it really came from a curiosity standpoint. And I remember one of our lecturers said, be very wary when you study this stuff, because it's very easy to diagnose yourself with almost everything that you are learning and reading about. And so I took that quite seriously. And in every single thing that we learnt about, there is something that you can connect with there in some way. And so when I was looking at depression and anxiety, I thought, oh yeah, I can connect to that. But it was all very academic in my mind. And if I look back with the power of hindsight, anxiety has always woven its way through my day-to-day and my life story. I didn't realise that it was a much bigger part of my life until I was 20. And it was when I was 20 that I had my first panic attack. I finished university and I was doing my first full-time permanent job in you know, a really grown-up office with other adults and I was sitting at a desk with really a fair amount of responsibility when I look back and I was in the middle of my work day and I felt that my heart was constricting and that I couldn't really breathe. And I had this moment of thinking, my goodness, I've I've got to get out of here. I've got to go and check this out. And my first thought was, I think this is probably heart attack you know I'd never experienced any heart constricting chest constricting can't breathe kind of feeling and being the age that I am our main exposure to that is seeing you know the male dad on a tv show clutching his chest and falling off the couch and that was what I identified with the most and so I very secretly grabbed my handbag uh quickly said to my boss, I'm just popping out for a moment, walked downstairs, got in a cab, went straight to the emergency room. And because I had heart-based symptoms, I got triaged to the top of the list and they did all of their analysis and found that my heart was perfectly healthy. You know, thank goodness. (laughs) Uh, But I remember when I was lying in the hospital bed and a young-ish doctor came over to the bed and said, good news is you uh, internally, we can see everything is looking very healthy, which is great, but we think you have had a panic attack. What do you think about that? And the combination of having sort of secretly slipped out of the office and this doctor being relatively young I I just felt like I had a shame shower and I was flush with embarrassment and I felt mortified that I was taking up precious health resources from people who actually are having a heart attack. And it was a very confronting experience. And even though I had been told specifically, you know, to my face, we as medical professionals think you have had a panic attack, it it didn't even really sink in at that point. I sort of, the penny still hadn't dropped then, which is sort of somewhat as a surprise as somebody who's actually studied psychology. Uh, 
you know, was working in a people-focused role where I was training people how to look at other people's personalities and it still didn't drop. I essentially didn't absorb that information. I went back to normal life, uh, kept kept working as is. I went overseas. I travelled. I came back. I had another job. I had another couple of experiences in the middle that were indicators that I worried a lot. And you know, one experience in the middle there, which was another complete panic attack. One day on the way to work, I remember I was uh, changing trains at a major train junction in the city. And as I went to step over the gap and into the train, I remember being sort of mid-step and I fell into another panic attack and I felt like I couldn't breathe. I felt like my body was paralysed. I was stuck in every sense of the word and I had to almost use momentum to actually fling myself into the train because it's like my body had forgotten how to do the rest of that step. And once I flung myself into the train and and made my way to a seat, everything else just became a blur. I, To be honest, I really can't remember what happened next. I just remember being very stiff and stuck and quite frightened. And whenever it was that I got off the train, thankfully at the right train station, I remember catching my breath and being bamboozled as to what had happened and how how did I get onto the train and how did I get into that seat and what just happened and, again, feeling that unbelievable mind, body, spirit, fatigue and exhaustion. And I'm pretty sure that day I went back home and couldn't quite explain what had occurred and I remembered about what had happened when I was 20 and I thought, oh, that seems very a very familiar feeling. I didn't have a heart attack. Hmm. And then I went home, watched movies, I, you know, and then I went back into my normal everyday again. And then it wasn't until I was in the job after that that I was feeling pretty stressed, just generally stressed with a very busy workload, not enough hours in the day that I went to see a psychologist and small tiny pennies had started to almost drop where I thought this this seems like a lot. You know, I don't know if everybody else is experiencing this in, in quite the same way. And so I I went to get myself a mental health care plan and then to see a psychologist. And when I saw the psychologist, I used every reserve that I had in my body to muster out and squeak out the words, I think I have anxiety. And I can't, oh, I can't tell you how much that took out of me to squeak those words out and then the devastating response was hmm 
but you've got that big job and you are going on holidays on your own next month. So I don't think it could be anxiety. And I was crushed. I was crushed. I thought, oh my goodness, I have done my research. You know, I know that I worry all the time. I have achy muscles and I'm on edge quite a lot of the time. And yes, I have a a cool job. And yes, I happen to be going on a trip to Bali on my own. But I tell you what, how much I've worried about that trip (laughs) and how much I have overplanned certain pieces and how I've had to plan when I'm going to have downtime and all of those sort of things. And being in that position where I had to almost convince a psychologist that I was struggling because externally I had it all together and was achieving and still striving for goals. I still had goals and having to explain that actually, no, I'm still struggling was just so demoralizing and took the wind out of my lungs. And I saw her for a couple more times and eventually stopped. And again, then after that, I'd used up all of my courage to show up. Well, actually, I'd used up all my courage to go to the GP and convince that guy and then tell them how to fill out the mental health care plan and then take that mental health care plan to the, the psychologist and then convince her that I was having a tough time, which was unsuccessful. She, she didn't really fully believe me was too much to continue going and seeking help at that time. So, you know, I turned to reading lots of books and doing the things that I'd already known helped me, you know, yoga and meditations and hanging with my friends and, you know, doing all of those sort of things. Uh, And then it wasn't until many, many years later when I was living with my boyfriend. We hadn't been living together that long. Uh, He's now my husband, as a bit of a spoiler. We hadn't been living together that long and it was a bit of a non-event kind of day and I was sitting on our uh, kitchen stools and I can't even remember at all what had occurred beforehand, but I just remember falling into that very familiar sensation of not being able to speak, my body feeling paralysed, not being able to communicate what was happening for me and having this man who I loved in front of me clearly quite panicked watching his girlfriend not respond and crying and not doing anything, just sort of being a bit of a lump in front of him was actually the hardest part because I wanted to step outside of myself and scream and grab him by the shoulders and say, it's okay, I'm having this thing. It's happened a few times before. I'm going to be okay. Here's what I need you to do. But I was rendered mute. Uh, yeah, I couldn't move my arms. I, uh, yeah, was just stuck and still and mute. And the biggest penny-dropping moment when I went, oh, 
okay, this has happened a few times. They're quite far apart. You know, they're years and years and years apart. There is worry in between those those panic attacks that I've had. I'm still externally functioning very well, but actually maybe there's something a little bit more to the story. And so after that, I did more research and uh, came across something called high-functioning anxiety, which is where it's all the same symptoms of your generalised anxiety disorder, except you continue to achieve in spite of your feelings of fear and worry and overanalysis and perfectionism. And that really resonated with me because, you know, from my studies, I was aware that people who have generalised anxiety disorder most frequently are prevented from functioning in some part of their life. And that wasn't the situation for me. You know, I was still doing uh, pretty well at my business. I was helping other people. uh, And I always had interesting ideas and I had a partner who I loved and, you know, I had all of these great things going on and I was fit and healthy and externally I looked like everything was doing well, but there was this undercurrent of worry that just continued to stay there. And so when I found out about high-functioning anxiety, it was it was a pure relief because I thought, oh, my goodness, that's me. And even though high-functioning anxiety isn't an official diagnosis, knowing that there is an understanding out there of what that looks like, which is slightly different to your generalized anxiety disorder, which would be diagnosed by a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Understanding that there is this version and this flavor where you might still worry all the time, but you are continuing to succeed and achieve and function at a high level was a huge relief. This pattern of having to justify that actually there are times where I struggle a bit and there are times where I struggle a lot and having to justify that is exhausting when it's already tiring to be in that mental health space and feeling that way, massive relief. And around that time was also where I wrote myself a little it was in a little little blue notebook with a cheapy pink pen, a bunch of questions that if I was ever in that stuck, overwhelmed space again, not even necessarily at the panic attack stage, but all of the bits before then, if I had that version of me standing to my right, what would she say? What would she ask me to do? You know, Tammy, oh, are you comparing yourself against somebody again? Or oh, do you feel like a total fraud showing up to that meeting? Oh, not again. Okay. Yes, here are the things you do. No, go to your next question. And I wrote a whole bunch of questions about this and I used it for nearly a year. And each time I found that it neutralized my anxiety and it was stopping me from getting to that point of panic. It was sort of uh, pattern interrupting before that point, which was a massive relief. Uh, And 
I ended up being able to uh, publish that pink pen, blue notebook book into a book to help other people, which uh, feels like a nice full circle moment to be able to help other people who also know what that dry throat, shoulders around your ear, uncomfortable stomach, nervous about what you said yesterday and worried about what you're going to do a year from now. I wanted to help those people and it had already been helping me. So it was nice to be able to get that out there in the world. So I'd had that uncomfortable experience with that initial psychologist who hadn't quite been able to read between the lines or take what I was saying at face value that I was struggling. And that was a big dampener for quite a long time in finding another traditional path to find solace and help from. Uh, I did try another couple of psychologists who just were not quite the right match. You know, there's a lot of talk, particularly in psychology training, that they are there to act only as a mirror, and that just didn't work for me. So what I've found has been helpful in managing my mental health and helping me to thrive in many aspects of my life is a very interesting blend between traditional approaches and alternative therapies. And in saying that, you know, my background is in psychology and understanding how things like cognitive behavioural therapy can help to balance out unhelpful thought patterns. And then using those types of skills mostly self-directed, also in partnership with the alternative therapies and approaches that had already been helping me for a long time as well. And by seeing all manner of people, you know, kinesiologists, uh, very alternative to energetic healers, people who just saw what I was going through through a different lens and had different things to say than what I'd already said to myself or remembered from my textbooks was infinitely helpful, including things like yoga. You know, I'm a yoga teacher and and being able to do gentle yoga stretches on the floor before bed while also doing other general relaxation things like meditation, like practical things like I now... At dinner time and afterwards, I don't have any of the overhead lights on. I only have lamp light on around the house. It's still nice and bright, but it's not jarring and it it really turns the volume down on that sensory input. It's a more calming experience to be in my house in the evening now. I do things like I don't have my phone in bed ever because it's too much information and too much input just before I'm about to go to bed. Uh, Using breathing techniques, being cozy and at home and with friends when I need to be with friends and introverting at home on the couch when I need to and having the ability and learning to say no when I need to and not having an having to create an excuse as to why I don't want to do something. Previously, it was a big lot of mental gymnastics when 
when I'd be invited to do something, oh, oh, um, oh, oh, where actually I can say, oh, I'm busy. Thanks so much. I'd love to join next time. They don't know that my busy might be uh, sitting on the couch and just taking some time to be within my own realm. They don't know that. They don't need to know that. And learning these tiny little tips and tricks and ways to balance out my my energy levels, uh, learn to harness the thoughts for the betterment of my life and the people around me rather than letting them take the reins and go crazy on their own has been all very helpful together. And being able to find these small-ish links between things and build them up layer upon layer upon layer while doing the traditional things of having a greater understanding of what's happening with my thoughts and my thought forms all knitted together in such a way that the anxiety is still there but I can manage it and I can use it now as a way to relate to people and as a bit of a superpower because I know that I can get an incredible amount of things done if I need to, if I set up my situation in such a way that it doesn't make me feel like I'm scared and nervous and fearful. It's just in such a way where I'm at my version of optimal creation and that's that's a real gift. You know, people with neuro, neurodiversity have different ways of seeing the world and I think that's wonderful. You know, it leads to more creativity, it leads to more community, the ability to connect with one another. It has led for me to be able to create these two books that I'm very proud of and to connect with other people who have experienced similar things to me. So having lived this experience of anxiety firsthand has been able to give me the connection with other people who have all manner of mental health challenges. It doesn't need to be the same one, but I think when somebody has gone through some kind of challenge and you have as well, it it creates this bridge to be able to connect with them in a way that you might not have had before. And that is a really special thing to me. And it means that I can potentially help them feel seen or heard in some way. I think it is so valid for people with mild to moderate mental health symptoms to get the support and the validity that they most likely require. There is nothing worse than when somebody is feeling a bit off or not quite themselves or not that great and they're not seen, they're not heard, they're not validated or valued in where they're at because I know from my perspective, the amount of courage it took to squeak out that I was struggling and then to not have that absorbed and reflected back and validated put me back years, years and years before being able to get a whole host of help, a lot of that being alternative therapies as well because I didn't need the 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 major interventions that 
are out there and just having somebody say, yes, I see you. It is tough where you're at right now. My goodness, what a crappy day. Tell me about it. You know, not having somebody to see who they are, see where they're at is is tough going. So the more that we can recognize in ourselves where things might be a little bit off in some way, even if you can't quite articulate it, I think it is so, so vital because it means that you could go and, you know, read a little bit more about depression or anxiety or enroll yourself in a yoga class or a meditation class or, you know, download that app or, you know, all of these different things to be able to break that pattern of going further and further downhill of how you're feeling. I think it is vital and that's where I think a lot of our attention and energy needs to be in helping people recognize that something's not quite right, helping them feel empowered to do something about it themselves and have the sense of safety and security to reach out when they need to and know that there is a safety net for them too. So the book, the Panic Button book that I created and wrote was born out of a desire to have something that wasn't currently available. I had done a lot of reading on anxiety and mental health and what I found was that so much of the information out there was in very large chunks. So what I wanted to have with me in that moment when I was having that panic attack and my husband was looking a little bit lost as to how to help me was some kind of tool that could he could hand to me that I could read through and within a minute or a couple of minutes have found some kind of neutrality so that I could open the page or that he could open the page and I'd read uh are you worried about a world event yes do this thing and then that's it no turn the page and getting something that was so specific and to the point wasn't currently available out there, which is why I created it and just used it for myself for about a year, then used it with a couple of clients and they got great benefit out of it. And then it was a wonderful moment when uh, the publishing house got their hands on it and said, oh, we think we think a lot of people actually would need this and it was a, a lovely moment of of realising that actually this thing that has helped me greatly in the moment in some of, some of my stickiest, tightest, tensest days might be able to help other people on a broader scale and that's, a, that's an amazing feeling knowing that out of some of the pain and tightness and tension of my life, it's been able to help other people and it's since been translated into eight languages. So it's helping people all over the world. And uh, subsequently, there were a lot of requests for from parents for a version for their kids. And so I subsequently wrote a kid's version, which is for ages 7 to 11 or 7 to 12-ish to help them when they're feeling worried or anxious 
or overwhelmed in some way too. I've used lots of e-mental health tools along the way and before I realised there was anything going on that I needed to manage, it was from a curiosity standpoint to begin with and then I've always used things like a meditation apps. So for example, one that I totally adore and love is Insight Timer, an amazing meditation app. I've used that for a really long time. And then when we get more specialized and more niche around specific help, things like the fact sheets on the Black Dog Institute on anxiety, depression, I find they're really helpful. And then in particular for a lot of my clients or people who aren't quite a match for me as a coach, I still want to give them some information before they find the next person who's going to help them. And the place where I send almost all of those people is the government's Head to Health website because it's a good place for them to find a bit more of a starting point of what resources are out there for them now uh, and maybe a week from now or a couple of weeks from now. It's a nice it's a nice place to be able to send people that aren't always the right match for me or in a compliment to the people who I work with as well. For anybody who has a niggling concept that maybe something's not quite sitting right for them at this moment, one of my biggest wishes is for them to trust their own feelings and to trust their own gut because inevitably there are going to be situations where somebody might be too busy to be able to read between the lines and ask you that question that you need asked in that exact moment or to be able to be the soft place to land at the exact moment that you want it to be and so trusting yourself and and being kind to yourself and giving yourself the space to discover what is working for you and what isn't working for you mentally, physically, emotionally is so vital because you are such an important human in our world and your impact and your contribution matters and your exact flavour of existing in this world, on this planet at this time is so important and we want to get the best version of you and if that means that you need to get some traditional help please do that if that means that you need to go for a run every Sunday before your kids wake up please do that whatever the things are that you know that you need or the research of figuring out what those things are please do it because I'm very grateful that I know a pretty chunky handful of those things that work for me and I'm still discovering what those are too. So please do it and you are so valuable and important and you matter and so does your contribution and that's one of the best ways to be able to make sure you can show up and be the best version of you. 